Sossier, who is the Director of Research Alliance Development for the Rue Institute at Northeastern University. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Nice to be here. So before we get into the questions, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, certainly. So um, I'm uh, uh, Chris Sossier, so I'm a native Mainer. Um, I work at the Rue Institute, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, my job there is uh, essentially sort of a, kind of like a business development type position where um, I work with researchers within the university who have expertise in um, not just cybersecurity, but a lot of different fields. Um, and I try to pair them up with with industry members, so companies or or nonprofits or what have you, where um, they could benefit from the re- from working together with a university on on research. Um, so again, I was sort of hired as to focus on cybersecurity, um, but um, just due sort of due to the necessity that that's been expanded quite a bit. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm a I'm a native Mainer. My family's all from Arusta County, um, but uh, we've um, um, through my career and, and even uh, growing up, uh, we did a lot of moving around. My dad's company moved us quite a bit um, all over the U.S. and, and uh, internationally as well. And uh, so I was always looking for a chance to move back to to, D- to, uh, to Maine. I was living in the Washington, D.C. area for about 12 years. I was, um, I've got, um, in addition to my, my Rue job, I also uh, been in the Air Force for about 22 years uh, as a active duty and, and reservist. So I'm, I'm still in the in the Air Force now. But um, so we were down in the D.C. area for the military, and then um, my wife and I decided to move back to Maine about uh, five years ago uh, to raise a family here. So, Awesome. So today we wanted to discuss with you um, different cybersecurity topics, um, your career with the Air Force, and also your professional career outside the military. And I'll let Reach uh, start with the first question. So uh, I know you mentioned that you were in Air Force for 22 years. So how has that experience shaped your cybersecurity career as a whole? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, frankly, if it wasn't for my military career, I don't think I would have a cybersecurity uh, career at all. It's um, There's a lot of, uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of fields uh, in the military that require a great deal of security, um, you know, just, um, you know, whether things are classified, information is classified or whatnot. So you know, even 20, you know, 22 years ago or so when I, when I joined, there was a lot of things that we were learning about, um, you know, how to protect information, how to, how to, um, you know, configure systems, how to use uh, encryption. And um, so back then I didn't, you know, we didn't even really have the term cybersecurity, you know, 20 years ago. So we, um, over the years, I picked up a lot of, you know, just sort of different appreciation for, for security and, and, um, my career sort of led me to a point where I um, eventually went to go um, work at um, um, Fort Meade, which is where the National Security Agency is. It's also the co-location uh, headquarters for U.S. Cyber Command. Um, and um, really, that was sort of where, you know, my cybersecurity um, expertise sort of, uh, bl- you know, blew up from there. Uh, so you had mentioned a little bit uh, there about the Air Force and maybe shaping your career, um, but what position uh, do you think um, has shaped your career uh, the most throughout your professional life? Uh, that's a that's a hard one. Um, I, um, I I have a you know I was listening to the, the conversation you had with Dr. Sussman and I, it was funny she said something about how how her career was you know had taken a lot of different paths and I, I think mine was has been very similar to that. Um, I don't think there's been any one particular job that's sort of prepared me better than another one or has, has sort of shaped my career better than a, a, another. I think every position that I've been in, you, you pick up, um, you know, you pick up little bits and pieces. Um, 
you know, you learn how to do things, you learn how not to do things. I think that's almost as important as, as learning tangible skills as actually learning, you know, sort of, um, you know, either what not to do or, or um, you know, how, how to lead or how not to lead, uh, you know, other people. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can, I'm going to kind of dodge that, uh, that answer a little bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I think, I think every, every position has kind of given me something that I can, I can, uh, I can use in my, in my life. So have those positions helped you um, with your consulting firm? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, consulting is is a sort of a, a ubiquitous term, obviously, that can be any different thing. And, and I think um, it's been it's been important to pick up little bits and pieces here and there, because I think, you know, when you when you move into a new consulting arrangement or a new consulting type position, um, you don't really know what you're going to find. You know, you, you find, you know, very different organizations, very different Technical structures, different leadership styles, um, different dress codes. I mean, you know, I've worked in places that were, you know, you wore a you know a suit and tie every day, and and you know now I prefer to work in places that I can wear jeans and <laughs> a sweatshirt. But uh, um, but yeah, there there's certainly um, the more sort of exposure you have to different environments, I think has been you know has been really helpful for me to to you know be uh, be comfortable in different different environments. Oh, that's great. Um, so to dive in into your social media side of things a little bit. So on your LinkedIn profile, you have a written bio that says, strive to be a thoughtful leader. What does it mean to you to be a thoughtful leader? Certainly. I, um, I, <clears throat> so leadership to me, I mean, I, I you know, my military career, I, I was commissioned as, as an officer. Uh, so by definition, um, you are a leader, um, and uh, I've had, um, you know, the opportunity to, to lead large and small organizations. And I think that just being thoughtful is is sort of uh, just a way to, to state that um, it's important to, to understand what those that are reporting to you or those that you are. are um, so going back to when you had first introduced yourself, you talk about the Rue Institute. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit further? Yeah, certainly. So uh, so the Rue Institute was... Um, was created in January of 2020. Um, it was um, um, through a gift by Dave and Barbara Rue. Uh, David Rue is a is a native Mainer. Um, he was really looking for an enduring, um, you know, an enduring program to, to work within the state of Maine to help uh, uh, grow the economy. So we have sort of three missions. We have an academic mission, obviously, as a, as a university. Uh, we have an entrepreneurship, so a lot of startups uh, and different programs for companies to, to come to Maine and the idea of, of really uh, trying to keep them here in Maine. Um, so obviously to, to feed uh, jobs, you have to have people and, and those sorts of things. So the academic and, and uh, entrepreneurship uh, areas go together hand in hand. And then the last one is uh, uh, research. Uh, so we have sort of four research verticals um, that we, we support there. So, um, But we're, we're one of... Um, uh, Northeastern's 14 campuses around the world. Um, obviously, the you know the the Boston campus is is the main one, but uh, we um, we are here in Portland, and and we uh, currently have about 550 graduate students. So we're only at a, at the graduate level, um, but uh, we'll be continuing to grow, and and hopefully someday we'll be moving into the. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the the Bean Factory. That's that's yeah. eventually be our our campus. Uh, knock on wood. So we're getting pretty excited about that, and it, uh, frankly, it can't happen soon enough. It's uh, be a nice space once it's done. So I know you mentioned earlier that you came to the Rue Institute in order to help move back to Maine, but was there also, um, did you also have the objective of helping develop Maine businesses and help uh, 
develop entrepreneurship in the state as well? Absolutely, yeah. So we, so I actually sit, sit under what we call our partnerships team, and and the partnerships team is really is really focused on exactly what you just said. So so working with with Maine companies or even even companies outside of Maine that maybe um, maybe have a you have a presence here or have employees here, but we. We work with them on, on a lot of different programs. So um, a lot of it is, um, you know, like we'll, we call it like employee upskilling. Um, you know, maybe you have a, a team that you would really like to um, get a, a very specific type of training in like data science or, or you know, something something along those lines, project management. Um, so we'll, we'll work with companies and we'll build them something that they is very specific to them um, or you can you can go to school and, and get a graduate certificate or uh, or a graduate degree um, with uh, with various companies so we have about a hundred a little over 100 par- partners right now that we we work with um, and we're in USM is, is, is one of our academic partners we have a, a fantastic relationship with the University of Maine and uh, system and and uh, so we uh, and we continue to grow we, we hope to be um, you know continue that upward trajectory and, and bring on more partners to, to work with Awesome. Um, so you mentioned that you are responsible for, um, as a point of contact for uh, developing research alliance for cybersecurity um, within the Rokes Institute. What does the research alliance mean? Like you mentioned, like one USM is one of the hundred partners. What what does that whole alliance mean? Yeah, certainly. It's it's um it can mean a lot of different things. It's sort of the I guess the easiest answer is is um. You know, when we work with a with an industry partner, for example, a lot of organizations that we work with, um, you know, may not have a robust research and development division. You know, especially smaller businesses, they they maybe maybe they can't afford to have like a, a, a you know a team of fifty people that are just doing research. Um, so a lot of times, what we'll what we'll do is we'll work out an arrangement where we can um, we can bring in our faculty. We have you know some really really extraordinary faculty. Um, that are doing, you know, doing research in all sorts of different areas, and um, so we try to marry up that that research um, capability that we have with the university with a company um, with academic partners. A lot of times, we'll 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 get together. Um, you know, you you bring sort of your skill set, we'll bring our skill set, and then we'll you know we'll work together to 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 uh, uh, come to some uh, you know better you know better outcome, um, applying for grants or. Um, you know, different, uh, you know, different funding vehicles. So. That's great. Yeah. To extend off of uh, Reach's question, why, why are these research alliances so important? Um, you like having new things, right? You know, you yeah. like, you like having better technology and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to keep, um, I think a lot of it is, is really around, um, maintaining and, and increasing American compet- com- uh, competitiveness. Um, I think is, is really what you would like to, you know, like to think about that. We, it, within Maine, a lot of the organizations that we've been working with are, um, you know, like, like for example, small manufacturers. Maine is, is really well known for, for manufacturing and, you know, has really had a long history of manufacturing. And um, in, in this modern economy, uh, competition is coming from everywhere. You know, it comes from overseas. It comes from, um, you know, people can 3D print things in their, you know, in their homes if they want. And, and so there's a lot of competition. So, so those... Um, those research alliances with companies are, you know, especially those in Maine, are really uh, trying to maintain, co- you know, competitiveness and, and help them be, um, you know, be be more efficient. Um, you know, help them. Um, you know, right now we have a, really a declining workforce. You know, we have we have fewer people that are that are in the workforce, and 
that can be a real challenge if you're working for again, you know, in a manufacturing environment where there's things are very manual and you know doing things by hand. Well, well, if you don't have five people on your line, then suddenly I can't, you know, I can't produce that that product or, or what have you. So we we try to work with organizations to help them with with uh, situations like that. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So. You mentioned that you help out with securing grant money and grants in general. So are there any um, other responsibilities that you have as director that you haven't already mentioned? Um, no, it's uh, mostly around, uh, it's mostly around, uh, you know, finding, or you know, operations that we can, that we can work with. So f- again, finding industry partners. Um, I, I don't, don't, I don't do a lot of grant work. Um, obviously in academia, you have to do some. Um, but I, I'm, uh, um, you know, myself and my team were in a lot of ways we're kind of a Swiss Army knife. We do we do a lot of different things, and um, which is which is great. It's really exciting. But um, uh, but primarily, my responsibilities are, are looking looking for new partners and, and helping to secure um, you know research uh, ob- objectives. What other organizations besides the, the Air Force, um, Northeastern, in, and USM that you're working with? Uh, as of right now, besides the Rooks Institute, absolutely. So, uh, uh, so, so through the RU, uh, like I mentioned, we have over a hundred partners. Uh, a lot of our partners are, um, you know, very, very well-known main, you know, main companies, LL Bean and Wax and Unum, and um, there's a, a number of, of smaller organizations as well. So, um, there's, um, I, you know, I've worked with, we work with all kinds of different companies. Um, you know, again, a lot of Maine-based companies or companies that have a presence in Maine. But uh, but a number um, uh, all over the all over the place. Uh, in the past, you've given interviews uh, where you've discussed how important uh, it is to train and produce more cybersecurity professionals. Uh, what advice would you give to those trying to fill that field right now, uh, such as students like us? Yeah, that's a, that's a big. Uh, I get, this answer could go in a lot of different directions. <laughs> I think. Uh, um, you know, really, I think, uh, as I was mentioning, I listened to Dr. Sussman's uh, interview, the, the podcast you guys did with her. And I think what she said was she was talking a lot about communications and, you know, being able to, um, you know, be be uh, go into an organization and really explain to them, um, you know, whether you're there as a, as a full time employee or whether you're there as a consultant, um, you know, really uh, being able to to help translate what you know, what you see as a, as a technical individual who understands sort of, you know, how the IT or, you know, how the security posture is, is, is developed, but really learning the skills to, um, to be able to present, to communicate, to write. I think those are really, really important skills that, uh, you know, um, most uh, cybersecurity professionals are going to be faced with at, at some point, because you really have to be able to translate what you, what you know, uh, to a, to a level where people, don't you know they don't understand it they don't understand you know what this piece of equipment is and and i think that's um you're really uh really a very important skill that you'll you'll have to uh, you'll have to, to to use in your career i guess um and i apologize kind of chip in but um on top of that um since we're kind of asked talking about sort of advice for the future you know for us i guess as we graduate uh, what do you think is kind of the biggest change you've seen in cybersecurity since you started and What's kind of the biggest, on top of that, what's kind of the biggest change in sort of the general public perception of cybersecurity and how people approach it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the biggest change is that we're talking about it now. Um, you know, again, 20 years ago, there was really not a term for, you know, for the security stuff. And, and, and now it's in the news every day. It's, you know, you hear about it. Um, 
um, you know, security or, or cybersecurity, even over the years was, you know, for a long time was really just, you know, quote unquote, for, you know, the guys in the, you know, in the dark closets, you know, banging away on the, you know, like, I don't, you know, I don't know what they do. And whereas now it's really, um, you know, it's really a, a very front front of mind topic. And you, again, you see it in the news with all these, you know, these large, um, these large hacks or these ransomware attacks. Um, the other thing I think in business is, is you now have a C-suite, you know, you know, which is uh, synonymous with sort of the leadership of a company. You have CISOs, right? You have chief Inf- information security officers, which that is that was a position that you know never, never existed until um, you know really just just a few years ago. So, yeah, I, it's just sort of an evolution where where because so much of what we do is is online or or is tied up in in sort of the the virtual uh, IT world. Um, it's it's become such an important piece that it's now it's really now a, a very um, you know very mainstream topic that everybody's talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I guess on top of that, I mean, do you think the public is a little more? I mean, I guess you mentioned you know in the news all the time. It so definitely people are made more aware of cybersecurity. But do you think people are a little more proactive about their security nowadays than ever, or do you think even it's less or not or hasn't changed really? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd like to think it's more. I, I don't, I don't know that it's, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really good answer or a really good question. I, I think, um, I think people are certainly more aware. Um, but, um, it's also very easy for people to become very jaded with, you know, with security when it's, it's just a constant thing. I mean, everything from, you know, social media to, um, you know, it's funny, I, I was lo- logging on to something over the weekend and, um, you know, I was using Google Chrome and it, you know, man- maintains your passwords and all those sorts of things. And, and it said, uh, you know, I typed the password as a site I haven't been to in a long time and my password came up and it, you know, and it said, um, your data was involved, you know, your password was involved in a breach, you know, you might want to consider changing your password. I'm like, holy cow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, it's just, you know, it's just, it, it's easy to become very jaded when you're just faced with this all, you know, all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think people are certainly more aware of it, but but are they doing anything about it? It's a really good question. No, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people almost, I, I almost wonder if a lot of people now are just like, oh, well, my stuff was stolen. They just are kind of just accepting it now or stuff like that. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the, the, um, you know, we had some really, really high-profile breaches. As a, you know, I'm a, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm a veteran. I think the VA has has lost my, you know, my information like a dozen times. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I just assume that it's out there. You know, and and it's it's sort of, you know, we sort of say it as a joke, but but in reality, it's just, um, you know, it's just, uh, it is, you know, it's out there. You know, so yeah, you... <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you have a, if this would be a thing to even ask, but. I, you know, I guess on top of that, does that kind of go on to maybe a little bit more about how social media, so much stuff is shared on there now? Do you think that that might be contributing to any of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what people are willing to, you know, willing to share um, is, is just, you know, kind of kind of astounding. The 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 funny, you know, so in, in security, you've sort of got cybersecurity, you've got, you know, that piece. And then there's like a very, very close cousin of privacy. Right. So. Um, you know the the EU has uh, GDPR and and uh, you know they've really taken a hard stance and a few states have some privacy things as well and so it's funny how we talk about privacy but yet 
you know, and people want this privacy, but yet they put everything out there. They put everything online and, you know, what they've eaten for dinner and, you know, all their, you know, all this very private stuff. And it's just, it's just interesting, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm sure I understand the human condition well enough to, to, uh, <laughs> to, to explain what's going on, but I just, I, I just find it very funny that it's, um, you know, it's just, it's just such a prevalent, such a prevalent thing. No, that's so true. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. I think we should definitely um, get an episode, get someone to talk, see if we can talk more about digital exhaust too, because I, I feel like that's a really big thing to. Well, people also there. swap convenience for security. Absolutely. Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely. It, as yep. long as it, it's convenient, security doesn't matter. Yeah, we're using the same passwords and, you know, and, and just, yeah, it's making, you know, very cr easily crackable passwords and things like that. I mean, that's just. That's just human, you know, human condition. I think the cybersecurity in general is, um, you know, I remember years ago I was talking with, uh, you know, one of my mentors and, and he said, um, he said, you know, you can design a, a tech technically perfect system and the second you put a human being in front of it, you've broken it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, so human, true. human beings are just, um, you know, we're just infinitely capable of, you know, breaking things and it's either laziness or sloppiness or, you know, um, you know, even, you know, phishing attacks, for example, I mean, mm. some, some of the emails like these companies are, are you know, are, are getting, um, they look, you know, they're really good. They're really convincing it in just one minute of inattention. Somebody clicks on something and, you know, you've, you've opened the, the you know, open the, the gates to the kingdom and, and uh, it's re really a challenge. Yeah, that's, um, I'm just, I, I brought this up at an interview I just did with Reach over, I was talking to one of the professors we have here. You know, I was, I, and I have a relative who works, uh, I was for a state government and IT, it was mentioned other security team. They send out, they use uh, some sort of thing like no before or something to you know train for phishing emails. That's always like it's always the same two people every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. Yep. So with cybersecurity constantly evolving, how does the Rue Institute ensure that its students are meeting the needs of organizations? Yeah, certainly. So, so we have a. Um... We have a cyber graduate degree, uh, cyber, or excuse me, graduate only. Um, we uh, like a lot of lot, you know, a lot of academic programs. Uh, we try to teach, you know, what's what's usable and what's what's up to date. Um, our graduate degree is, is a is a fairly technical degree, um, but it also is um, really uh, it's really geared towards um, business leaders, so people who want to be sort of in that. In a leadership position, um, so I really think uh, our, our focus is really teaching relevant, you know, up-to-date topics. Um, and, and cybersecurity is just a, is a, you know, is just such an evolving field as, as you guys as you guys well know. I mean, things that you probably learned a year ago, or you know, or may may already be sort of you know out of place. And um, it's um, you know, whereas if you're studying chemistry. You know, if you identify a chemical property, it's a pretty good chance it's going to stay. That's you know, that property is going to stay the same. In cybersecurity, you know, we we may have moved on to something you know in, in six months or a year. So uh, so yeah, just just trying to keep things up to date is is, is probably the uh, the largest you know the biggest tactic that we take there. So you have mentioned that you worked for the uh, U.S. Cybercom, uh, and can you? Talk talk about that a little bit more and what your experience was like there. Yeah, certainly. So, um, so United States Cyber Command is is um, is uh, uh, what we call a combatant command within the within the military. Um, you've um, uh, so we uh, when I was there, I, I spent about three years work, working there as a as an Air Force reservist. So I was I was in uniform when I was there. But we 
um, the mission of U.S. Cyber Command is to um, is to protect the uh, the DoD information network, so the Department of Defense's network, which, as you can imagine, is huge um, and worldwide, and 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 also a very juicy target for you know for potential hackers. So, so I worked in a in an operation center, twenty four seven operation center. It's uh, it's it's staffed right right now, um, and we had um, we had partners um, really all over the world. It was really kind of a very unique place to work because uh, we had, um, you know, we had representatives from uh, other countries that we're, we worked very closely with, the UK, Canada, um, Australia. Um, and then we had a lot of representation from industry as well. So, you know, as we, even though it's the, the Department of Defense, you know, our our equipment is still Cisco or, you know, whatever, you know, name, name the manufacturer. So we still use commercial grade equipment around around the world so we had uh we had reps from from those organizations that were that were there um and then we also had a lot of law enforcement um uh reps so as as you look at you know the u.s law um, the dod is allowed to do certain things under title 10 um and then other organizations are are allowed to do things like law enforcement so the dod is not a law enforcement organization so if we found something that was appeared to be criminal, we would immediately hand it to the folks at the FBI or, or to, you know, the, the, the relevant industry um, representatives. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting. So we worked, um, we worked 12 hour shifts, um, come in uh, from, you know, 6am to 6pm. Um, and during that time, you would just, um, you would just, you know, sometimes there were sort of ongoing operations, but, but uh a lot of it was really just responding to what was happening ar around the world and, and really just keeping an eye on, on sort of uh, what was out there. I, I, I happened to be on shift. Um, at, uh, I'm trying to remember what the hack was. Um, oh, it was the uh, denial of service, um, distributed de denial of service. Um, uh, the one that was through um, Dyne, the Dyne Corporation down in New Hampshire. Um, and uh, that was really interesting because we were, we were literally watching a map of, of sort mm -hmm. of where you know where um, attacks attacks were happening, and you know the 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 bots were going out and enlisting all these you know IoT devices, and and uh, it was really just fascinating to be able to see to see it and and sort of you know you're looking at it and you're like I don't even know what's you know at first you're like what what's happening and um, but it's just uh, we, so we're sort of the advisors at U.S. Cyber Command is really the advisors to the Department of Defense on on all things on, on all things cyber, but but as an evolution you know it was um, it was uh, an organization that started off in the early 2000s um, with really just a handful of people, and they were really just kind of policy people. And then over the over years, it actually grew to a point where it became its own um, um, combatant command, which is, um, you know, how the how the Department of Defense goes to war is through the combatant commands. It's not through the Air Force or the Navy. That's a whole a whole other topic. But. Um, <laughs> Um, so that so and now you look at it and you look at their funding and sort of you know what they're responsible for. It's it's a much much larger organization now. Uh, if possible, do, could you just give us a definition of uh, the what a distributed denial of service attack is? And I know you mentioned bots as well. So about about what a botnet is, which is kind of what those attacks use. Yeah, certainly. So um, yeah, denial of service is really just uh, uh, you know removing the ability for somebody or something to, to use something that they're depending on. So in, in this case, what, what would happen was, um, was this, this bot was going out and it was, uh, it was finding, 
you know, Internet of Things devices, so your wireless thermostats in your house or your, you know, your Roku box or all these sorts of things that are network connected. Um, and what it was specifically doing was it was looking for the ones that hadn't they hadn't changed their their admin password. So everybody knows that when you plug something in, you know, whatever the device is, it's, you know, admin, admin or, or you know, password, password is the default. And a lot of people don't change that. Well, they you know, these these nefarious actors know that. Um, so they created a, a bot that went out and it basically, um, you know, wormed its way from from device to device. And it would it would go in, ch recognize that the password hadn't been changed. It would log itself in. And then uh, the denial of service part is really uh, in this case, it was it was really just flooding the Internet with traffic to the point where, um, you know, it's like, you know, turning up your stereo super loud so you can't hear anything else. It was basically just doing the same thing with internet, with Internet traffic It was just creating, you know, um, just streams and streams of data that were, were uh, you know, really just noise in the system. Uh, but, but unfortunately, that also creates a situation where, where the information you want to move through the network can't move through the network because it's just it's, it becomes it's blocked, a, you know yeah. a bottleneck. So, um, so that uh, now that you talked about your position and role in um, the U.S. Cyber Command, how how did you land that role in the first place? Because as for listeners, they might be interested in like getting into a U.S. Cyber Command. I mean, you're you were in the military, so that sort of just mm -hmm. take you there. But how 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 did that? How did you get that role in the in the first yeah, place? Yeah, certainly. So um, I so I was in I was in uniform. So I went through. In, in this case, I was assigned there. Um, so I I, uh, it, you know really didn't have much choice in that respect but um but there are a lot of civilians that work at u.s cyber command in fact it's you know uh mostly civilians um but um there's a lot of uh there's a lot of jobs uh open um i think most of the hiring for for government type jobs are, are done through um usajobs.com or usajobs.gov i can't remember which one switch but uh but if people are interested in in, in that sort of thing um they have a lot of internship programs down there. They do a lot of co-ops. They do a lot of uh, great training programs. Um, you do need a very high security clearance to, to, to get in to work at, at Cyber Command or, or the National Security Agency. Um, so one uh, one thing to really be careful of is, is you really have to watch your um, you know, keep your nose clean. <laughs> um, uh, you know, drug use is, is a big deal. Um, you know, you really have to be able to, to keep you know keep your mind clear. Um, but uh, but yeah, certainly there's a lot of opportunities through um, through the government to, to take on positions and and beyond Cyber Command, there's there's other you know if you wanted to work in a non-Department of Defense, there's um, the FBI has uh, NCIC, uh, NCCIC, um, and then there's a lot of other organizations. Uh, Department of Homeland Security has cyber uh, things. So they have the CISA, the Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency, um, and those. Uh, and those guys are really all over the place. We actually have a, a rep here in uh, Maine that, that works for for, for DHS. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot of great government opportunities in cybersecurity if you're if you're interested. Okay, so now let's get into the pulled from the headlines section. So I'm going to ask you questions, or we're all going to ask you questions about an article that we found. So this is from the BBC News, and the article is titled "Germany Fires Cybersecurity Chief Over Russia Ties." And to read some quotes from it. Um, German media have accused him of having had links with people involved with Russian intelligence services. The Interior Ministry is investigating allegations made against him, but it has been confirmed that he has been fired with immediate effect. So as someone who has been heavily involved with the United States cyber defense efforts, 
does this development concern you? Um, I, I don't know that it concerns me. I, I think I think the the response was 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 appropriate. Um, I think what's what's really interesting is that there are uh, there are a, a number of company uh, excuse me countries that um, that have very public um, and very obvious goals with regards to uh, tampering with other other com- countries. Um, you know, cyber cybersecurity, um, and you know, it's done at the national national level. I mean, you can think China and, and North Korea, Russia is certainly one of those. Um, so, again, it doesn't. I don't want to say it doesn't concern me. You know, it, it is it is a concerning thing when you see something like that. That uh, you know, a high level official had had ties to to another another country like that, especially one with with stated goals of disrupting you know disrupting others, and you know, of course. Certainly, with the stuff going on in Ukraine right now and Russia's actions there, it's it's uh, you know it's very concerning. But uh, um, you know, it's just uh, I I think kudos to to Germany for you know for finding finding that uh, you know, I'd be curious to understand how long you know he he had connections and if they were close connections and those sorts of things. I don't think the article went into into great detail on that, but. Uh, um, it certainly was you know was dealt with correctly I, I think and uh, you know had, ideally probably wouldn't have evolved that far to where he was put into that sort of position but um, yeah there there are a lot of like I said a lot of countries that are um, you know have very very public very obvious plans to disrupt everything from you know elections to um, you know to uh, uh, you know industry transactions and and things like that and um, you know that's it's just that 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 whole concept is very concerning just as a you know just as a broad broad area could you see any other potential issues um arising from a scenario like this um yeah i mean i mean i i think you know it would be interesting to see if 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 there were any deliberate changes that were made you know if if uh you know obviously i'm kind of kind of leading the witness here a little bit but if there were um you know, if, if there was really obvious sort of changes to Germany's security posture, for example, um, that, that seemed out of character or, um, you know, at somebody that high level, um, you know, probably wouldn't be somebody that would be, you know, operating, a, you know, an IT infrastructure or anything like that. But it could could be done at the policy, you know, it could be done at the policy level or, um, you know, it could be, could be interesting to see if there were any, um, you know, if there was any bribe, you know, bribery or anything like that. But uh yeah, it's hard to say. I, I'm, you know, it's just the the whole thing is 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 very concerning. I know when you know when U.S. citizens go for security clearances, they they uh, they do a pretty thorough um, scrub of sort of you know who your contacts are and who's in your networks and and things like that. And um, um, you know, we ideally try to find you know try to find any concerning material well well ahead of time, especially well ahead of somebody being put into a high level position. But yeah, uh, certainly. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, nation states like Russia have the stated objective of disrupting elections and infrastructure. So just how dangerous is the threat of, you know, a nation state attacking like the United States or, you know, the nation state's threat to our national security? Um, you know, obviously we'll go into, you know, great specifics. I think it's um, I think there is a significant concern all the time, you know, and, and really um, I think I would I would be. I would be probably more worried about um, a nation attacking uh, like a critical infrastructure sort of thing. Um, like we, we, you know, we saw it in two, uh, was it 2021, the uh, colonial pipeline 
um, you know, that was an example of, of uh, you know, the, the type of thing that could, could happen, you know, some, an attack on a power grid, um, on a dam, on a, you know, something that's really, a, a, you know, a very important piece of our, of our infrastructure. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, on the, on the defense side, there, you know, certainly a lot of people that are, that are looking at this every day, all day, uh, you know, it's really all they do. They're, they're very highly trained and, and there's a lot of fail safes and sort of backups and things like that. So I, um, what I'm more worried about is something that's, um, you know, maybe being controlled by a third party, like a, you know, like a, a private, you know, private industry member. Um, that, that stuff is, is, you know, is really concerning to me. And that, and that's why organizations like, like CISA, you know, part of DHS exists is to, is to go out and, and to help people uh, better understand what their, what, what their, um, you know, what their vulnerabilities might be. On to the final, last, last of final questions for you today. Why does it seem like hackers are always on the news? Are, are they that effective? Because um, every, every day you see news about hacking, um, infiltration, on the internet yeah i i um it's it's interesting to see you know see hacking stories on the news i think and, and they can be effective because they um you know you think about especially if it's uh you know if it's somebody that's sort of operating as a either a member of a of a group you know one of these these ha hacking organizations like you know anonymous or you know whatever um or they're just acting as an individual. You know, generally speaking, the the stakes are pretty low for them to, um, and, and in some cases, the targets are very easy to to get at. So hackers really, again, the stakes are really low are really low for them to, um, you know, to to get something of value. Or they can disrupt something. You know, there's sort of the hacktivism. You know, you guys have probably heard that, and that's really just you know maybe disrupting something so that you know something can't happen. There's not always a financial gain, but in some cases they can be motivated by fi by a financial gain. I remember when I first got into security consulting, I was working with a lot of small businesses, and um, at the time there were um, a lot of um, a lot of small businesses and. Uh, religious organizations that were were being targeted because they like for example in one case the 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 accounting guy or the the uh, the accountant for this church was doing all of their books at home on a you know on his like personal computer and he was a you know an accountant that worked for a big accounting firm so when he would go into his office he would have all the the protections and the firewalls and the VPNs and all the you know security thing you would expect um, but when he would go home and work on his church's books for free, he was just doing it on his like home network with, you know, with lousy security and, you know, it probably wasn't encrypted and didn't have a password. And, and so they actually had a, uh, they actually had an, a, you know, like a, I think it was actually a man in the middle attack where, where somebody, you know, was able to, uh, was able to capture his, his password and they went in and they, they took a bunch of money from the bank's accounts, you know, and, and so things like that, it was just, you know, it was just really easy for these, these hackers. They never found them, um, you know, and, and um, so it's just, yeah, it's really challenging. I mean, it's just a really, um, it, it's a really sort of broad, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, a, you know, hackers come in all sorts of different flavors and, and different motivations. And um, the challenge is really just being, being able to, to be prepared and to respond to, uh, to anything that you, you would come across. All right. So that's all we have for you. Thanks again for joining us, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here.